We turn in the Holy Scriptures to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And we read together chapter 4, a brief chapter. The text that we consider is verse 2. Malachi chapter 4. Behold, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We consider together especially verse 2 of this chapter. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Malachi was not only the last book of the Old Testament scriptures, but he was also the last prophet of the Old Testament era prior to that messenger that God would send to prepare the way before the coming of the Messiah. That messenger of whom Malachi also speaks, even in the chapter that we just read, In those last two verses, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And we know from other scriptures that that was a prophecy of John the Baptist, whom God raised up to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. So Malachi stands at the end of the line of the Old Testament prophets, the last prophet before John the Baptist, who came before Christ. Malachi lived in the era of history after the Jews had returned from captivity in Babylon back to the land of promise. But Malachi lived many years after the completion of the building of the temple. So in the days of Malachi, the temple had been finished and was rebuilt for many years already. Malachi was not a contemporary of Zerubbabel and Joshua that we have been hearing about, but he was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah, whose task it was 
to teach the people the ways of the Lord and to rebuild not the temple, but the walls of Jerusalem. Those were the days of Malachi the prophet. And you might think that after the people of God had been so severely chastised in Babylon for 70 years, that a period of history would follow that would go on perhaps for a long time in which there was faithfulness, in which the people feared the Lord from generation to generation. But that, sadly, was not the case. It wasn't long after the return from captivity that there were spiritual problems again. And God raised up Malachi in a time when the children of God, the Jews in Jerusalem, had been falling back into terrible spiritual ways. And the priests, in particular, had become very corrupt. God raised up Malachi to rebuke his people for their terrible sins in regard to worship, in regard to marriage, and in regard to tithing. In the book of Malachi, you find in the first chapter, at the very beginning, the first message that God brings to his people in those days was, I love you. And you ask, how can it be that you love us, they say. And God says, did not I love Jacob and I hated Esau? That's a revelation of the fact that I love you. You are my people. But having proclaimed his love for them, he goes on to rebuke them for their many sins. And he warns them finally in chapter 3, verse 1, that he would send his messenger to prepare the way before him, even the messenger of the covenant whom they delighted in. We read that prophecy in chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then he goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 1, Behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So Malachi brought a message of rebuke and a message of warning. It was a warning to the ungodly, wicked, and proud that God would come to destroy them. And it was a warning to the elect who were walking in sinful ways to repent. But he also brought a message of hope. And we find that in our text. He speaks this message unto those who fear the name of the Lord. And the prophecy is that the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And when he does, ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Let's consider that prophecy together under the theme, the rising of the Son of Righteousness. Notice, first of all, the sunrise of Christ's coming. Secondly, the healing in his wings. 
Finally, the joy of the God-fearing. The prophecy of Malachi here at the end of the Old Dispensation, in the very last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, is that the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. What a glorious and hopeful prophecy for the people of God living in those dark days. It was a prophecy of the sunrise of Christ's coming. There's something about the rising of the sun that I think we all would agree is magnificent and mysterious and glorious. When the sun rises each morning in the eastern sky, it not only dispels the darkness of the night, but it seems almost to dispel the darkness and the gloominess that sometimes can exist in our souls. The rising of the sun. It not only brightens the outward sky around us, but it also brightens our souls within us. The sun not only casts forth its rays of warming heat so that the air temperature rises, but the rising of the sun even seems to warm something within our souls. The sun is a magnificent creature of God, and the sunrise is a glorious part of the day. It happens every single day. The sun rises in the east, and it climbs up higher and higher into the sky. Whether we see the sunrise or whether the sun is hidden behind the clouds, we know that the sun rises in the east every day. And it rises up, up, up until at noonday, there it is, straight above us. And then finally it sets in the western horizon at night. The psalmist speaks of that in Psalm 19, which we just sang, verses 5 and 6. The psalmist says that the sun is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, rejoicing as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. We know that God made the sun in the beginning. He made the sun on day four of the creation. The sun, the moon, and the stars, he created them and placed them in the firmament of heaven above us. And Moses writes in Genesis 1 that he made two great lights, the sun and the moon, to be in our sky above us for signs and for seasons. So God created the sun not only to give light and heat to the earth, but also to function as a sign of a higher spiritual reality. And through Malachi, especially, God reveals to us what and who that spiritual reality is. The sun points to Christ. The rising of the sun points to the rising of Christ and the rising of Christ into the darkness of the night. You see, the world plunged into the darkness of night when mankind fell into sin. Adam and Eve were created in the beginning in the garden, and they enjoyed the beautiful sunshine of God's grace and favor and love. But when they turned their backs on him and turned to the prince of darkness, and fell into sin by eating of that forbidden fruit. They plunged the whole world into the long night 
of the darkness of sin and death. From the fall of Adam all the way up to today, the world has been cloaked in the darkness of sin and death. From that point on of the fall, men became guilty before God by the sins that they committed. They loved to walk in the darkness. They loved to sit in the darkness and perform the works of darkness. And by that, they became worthy of being cast into the outer darkness, the darkness of hell. Mankind fell into the darkness and became worthy of everlasting judgment and banishment to the darkness of hell. Through history, God began to shine little glimmerings of light through the prophecies and the promises and the types and the shadows that pointed his people forward to Christ. Nevertheless, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the people of God had to sit in the darkness. They had to walk in the darkness and in the land of the shadow of death, waiting, waiting, waiting for God to send Christ and to shine his light into the world. In the days of Malachi, that darkness continued. The return from captivity was not the end of sin. It was not the end of wickedness in the land of Israel. The people of God began to pollute the worship of God by bringing to the temple the worst of their cattle. They brought their blind sheep and their lame goats and their sick cattle. They brought those as their sacrifices to the Lord. They were polluting the sacred bond of marriage. Their young men were going out into the world and marrying the daughters of a strange God, we are told. They were marrying the daughters of heathen men and women. And then they were committing treachery against their wives, the men were. And they were even divorcing their wives and putting them away. These were days in which the people of God were also forsaking and neglecting their Christian duties, you might say. Malachi says, you are robbing God in your tithes and offerings. They were not bringing to the temple their tithes, the one-tenth of their goods that they were supposed to give to the Lord for the support of the ministry of his word in the temple. They were not bringing their offerings. They were selfish. They were hoarding all of their goods to themselves. And some were even going so far as to say, it is vain to serve God. Why are we serving God anyway? What good comes of it? So God raised up Malachi to rebuke them. And there were children of God living in those days who were faithful. He speaks of them in our text. Those who feared the name of the Lord. Those who feared the name of God, who were striving to live a God-fearing life, They had to sit there in the midst of all that darkness and corruption, and they were grieved by it. But they also understood that, by nature, they were no different from anybody else. But they also had in their own flesh a corrupt, polluted nature that was guilty of the very same things. And so the people of God sat in darkness, like a man in the middle of the night, or a woman who cannot sleep tossing and turning on their bed with anxiety and and fear and troubles on the heart. 
crying out to God as we find in so many of the Psalms that God would shine his light, that he would bring the morning light. Oh, that I would see thy loving kindness in the morning. That was the mentality of the people of God in the days of Malachi. So Malachi was given this wonderful privilege of prophesying the words of our text. Unto you who fear the name of the Lord, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Remember, too, that Malachi lived at the very end of the Old Dispensation. He lived at the very end of the Old Testament prophets. He lived in those days when the sun was about to set on the prophets, as Micah had predicted before him in Micah 3, verse 6. Because there were so many false prophets, and the people were buying into the false teachings of the false prophets, Micah said, That night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you, and ye shall not divine, and the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. God was about to fulfill that prophecy. After Malachi, the sun would set on the prophets, and there would be 400 years of spiritual darkness in which there would be no more revelations from God. No more scriptures would be written, but silence, like the darkness and stillness of the night. But Malachi had the honor of prophesying just before the sun set on the prophets. To you who fear the Lord, the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. He meant to say, The Messiah is coming. Christ is coming. Christ is going to rise up. And when Christ rises, when Christ comes into the world, he will be like the sun, shining in all of his brightness. He will dispel the darkness of the night. He will dispel the darkness with all of its fears and sorrows and troubles, with all of its sin. And he will rise and shine his bright, heavenly, divine light upon you. He will be the son of righteousness. Righteousness. Because when Messiah comes, he will dispel the darkness of your sin and guilt. He will take away your sin and guilt. And he will shine upon you the light of his righteousness. He will give to you his righteousness. And through him, you will be righteous. And you will be saved. What a glorious prophecy. And how that must have filled their souls with hope as they lived, as it were, at the end of the age, the end of the Old Testament. Four hundred so years later, God fulfilled this prophecy of Malachi. And he made the Son of Righteousness to rise up in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. When his son came into human nature in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the light of the world entered into the darkness. The sun of righteousness began to rise in the womb of the Virgin, and when she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, the sun began to shine in all of its glorious brightness and began to dispel the darkness 
that had been over the earth since the fall. And when Joseph and Mary took the baby Jesus in their arms and went from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem and brought him into the temple there, they found aged Simeon, to whom the Lord had promised that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And as they walked into the temple holding Jesus, Simeon knew this was the babe, the Christ child, and he took him up into his arms And in Luke 1, verses 78 and 79, we read that Simeon said, The day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. When Jesus grew up and began his public ministry, he preached, I am the light of the world. John 8, verse 12. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. But John tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel account that when the light shined into the darkness, the darkness comprehended it not. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. And in John 3, verse 19, Jesus said that when the light came into the world, men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. They didn't want this light. They didn't want the Son of Righteousness. They loved darkness. They loved evil. They loved to continue in their ways of sin, and that's why they crucified him. That's why they despised and rejected him. That's why they fastened him to the cross of Calvary. But in the greatest irony of history, perhaps, It was in that very rejection of the light of the world that the light shined most greatly. And it was there on the cross of Calvary that the Son of Righteousness really arose with healing in his wings. It was there on the cross that the Son of Righteousness really dispelled the darkness of that long night of sin and death. And he did that by plunging himself into the darkness. He did that by taking all of our darkness upon himself, all of our sin and guilt and death that we deserve. He took it all upon himself so that he might dispel it. He might remove it and cast it far away. And there was only one way that he could do that, and it was by descending into the darkness. And he did that when God brought those three hours of darkness to the cross in which he suffered the wrath and the indignation of God against our sins. But that, you see, that, in that deepest darkness, was when the Son of Righteousness arose with healing in his wings. He became our righteousness. As the Son of God in human flesh, perfectly obedient in his life and in his death, even to the cross, That's when he rose in all of his glory and splendor and brilliance as our righteousness before God to give us the right to a place in his kingdom of light. And that's why he rose from the dead as well. The son of righteousness rose from the dead on the third day. He burst out of the grave in all of his glory and brilliance with everlasting life. And he ascended up on high into heaven just as the sun 
rises up on the eastern horizon and it goes up, up to the highest point at noonday. So the Son of Righteousness, Christ, arose from the dead and ascended on high up into heavenly glory. And from there, from the right hand of God, he shines upon us with all of his glorious saving light, his justifying light, because he shines in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He pours the Holy Spirit down from heaven into our hearts and shines in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is, through his Spirit, he gives us the gift of faith. So that we look up and we see the Son of Righteousness rising and we see that he is our Savior and our Lord. That we who would otherwise reject him, who would otherwise crucify him, we see in him our only hope, our only salvation. We place our trust and our hope in him, and by faith we are justified. By faith in him, we receive his righteousness as a free gift. And that justification by faith cheers our souls and warms our hearts just like the sun when it shines on our skin on a beautiful day. When the darkness of the night is past and the beautiful sun rises and shines upon us, it cheers our souls. So also when we hear the gospel preached, when we hear the preaching of the sun of righteousness rising up right in front of our eyes in the gospel, cheers our souls as we know that we are righteous before God in the Son of Righteousness. And if God is for us, who can be against us? If God does not condemn us, who can condemn us? And that gives us the hope of righteousness in the world to come. Malachi's prophecy was that the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Healing. The Son, too, has a kind of almost mysterious healing power, doesn't it? The Son, when it rises up in the morning, rises, as it were, on wings. Son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, Malachi says. The sun, when it rises in the east, is like a bird, flying up from the eastern horizon, flapping its wings higher and higher and higher. And then the sun, when it shines its beautiful, powerful rays, it's as if a whole flock of birds flies forth from the sun on wings, down gradually, gently, closer and closer until those rays of sunlight land upon us. Just like that dove that came down from heaven so gracefully and gently landed upon Jesus at his baptism, so the rays of the sun land upon us almost like a flock of gentle birds landing on us. And God uses that sunlight to heal us God uses the very same sun sometimes to kill. 
The very same sun can dry up the earth. It can cause drought. It can cause fire. It can scorch. It can burn the skin. And it can kill. But God uses that very same sun to give, preserve, and heal life on earth. The sun, without the sun, there can be no life on earth. The sun God placed there in the beginning as that creature which would shine light for the giving, preserving, and healing of life on earth. And I think we all know something about that mysterious healing power of the sun. Not that whenever we are sick, we just go outside and soak up the rays and we're better. But we've all experienced that when we're feeling ill, when we're feeling mentally, spiritually, emotionally, or physically ill, there's something about that pure sunshine that has a healing effect on our minds and bodies. And so the Lord said through Malachi, the Son of Righteousness, too, will rise with healing in his wings. True healing, everlasting healing. The need for that healing is that when Adam fell into sin and plunged the world into the darkness of sin, the consequence was death and suffering, sickness, disease, injury, wounds and infirmities of all kinds. Sicknesses and diseases and wounds of the body, of the mind, and of the soul. We live in a fallen, cursed, dark world in which everywhere there is, all around us, all kinds of sickness and infirmity. From the common ailments of the common flu and the cold, to the injuries of a broken arm or leg, to the more serious diseases of blindness and paralysis, leprosy, and cancer, and to those mental disorders, schizophrenia, depression, and so many others. And then there are the spiritual sicknesses and diseases of habitual sins which affect our lives and cause suffering to ourselves and cause suffering to others. The sins of habitual fornication and habitual drunkenness and habitual abuse. All of these sicknesses and diseases of the body and mind and soul are what we find and experience in the world today. But the Son of Righteousness will arise, Malachi said, with healing in his wings. The children of God groan in the midst of this world of suffering. We groan at the sufferings of sickness and disease and injury, the, the, the woundedness of the mind, the woundedness of the soul, and above all, the sickness of sin. We struggle against our sins. We want to be freed from our sins. We want to be healthy. We want to be strong. We want to be God-fearing. We want to be perfect. But we continually fall into our spiritual infirmities. And so there's good news in the prophecy of Malachi. The Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And he demonstrated that healing when he came into the world. When he was born, when he grew up, when he began his ministry among men, 
a huge portion of that ministry was the miracles of healing. The Son of Righteousness brought healing. His task was to come into the world to heal. He is our great physician. He healed the sick, those with the fever, those with the palsy, those with leprosy, the blind, the lame, the deaf, the dumb. He healed those with spiritual sicknesses and infirmities. He brought to them forgiveness and justification, but he also brought them holiness and sanctification. He is our great physician. And when the Son of Righteousness arises in our hearts, he brings healing into our lives too. The promise of the text is to you, people of God, and to me. The Son of Righteousness will arise in your heart and in your life. And if you are believers, he has already arisen in your heart. And that first work of the Son of Righteousness when he comes into and rises up in our hearts is to administer a powerful dose of saving medicine called regeneration. A dose of spiritual medicine so powerful that it raises our dead souls back to life again and gives us a new man and makes us a new creature. But then he continues that work of healing us by administering to us through his word and spirit the saving medicines of his love and mercy through the gospel. And through that administration of dose after dose of spiritual medicine through the gospel, he heals us more and more throughout our lives. It could be that the child of God has a broken heart because of things that have happened to him or her in the past. We all have a broken heart to some degree or other. We've all experienced things in our childhood, in our youth, in our adult years in which our hearts were broken. Something happened to us. Someone did something to us. Someone disappointed us. Someone let us down. And we have a broken or a wounded heart. And we carry that bloody, lacerated heart with us wherever we go. But the Son of Righteousness will arise in your heart with healing in his wings. And he will heal those wounds. Maybe you can't even imagine how. Maybe you can't imagine living without those memories, those nightmares, those terrible feelings and and thoughts. But the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing for your wounded and broken heart. The The healing that he administers is in the form of his promises. He heals us by saying, by promising, I love you and will always love you. Even when other people let you down, even when other people are not there for you, even when either other people forsake you and abuse and hurt you, I will never do that. I will be faithful to you and will take care of you. You are precious to me. And that will never change. Sometimes a child of God might be troubled with guilt as we struggle with our sins and fall back into them and struggle and fall back into them again. So that there is a brokenness and 
a woundedness in our souls that we feel the terror of the judgment of God, the wrath of God, and hell that we deserve for our wretched sins. But the Son of Righteousness will arise in your heart with healing in his wings, healing in the form of the gospel promises that God forgives all your sins, that God has cast them as far away from you as the east is from the west, that God will never remember them ever, ever, unto all eternity. He blots them out of his book. He blots them out from his memory. And he has given to you the perfect righteousness of Christ. And that will never change. You can never lose the righteousness that he imputes to you through Christ. There is no condemnation to us who are in Christ Jesus. None. No condemnation. Through that precious gospel word, he heals our souls. But sometimes the child of God has a malignant tumor of sin in his life, by which I refer to a sin which is deeply ingrained and embedded in his soul, so much so that he denies it's even there. And he refuses to admit that it's there. And in his stubbornness, he will not repent of that sin or admit it. If that person is an elect child of God, then the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings in his life too. But he will arise in a way that he might not like. Just like a person who has a malignant tumor, who must go into emergency surgery, And the doctor must take out his scalpel and cut him open to remove that tumor, to save his life. Sometimes Christ might come into our lives with chastenings. He might come into our lives to break us, to humble us. That's the surgeon's scalpel cutting away that awful cancerous tumor of stubborn, rebellious sin. But it's for our good because the Son of Righteousness is rising with healing in his wings to take out that awful sin, to stitch us up with the healing mercies of his grace and eternal life. But the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing ultimately on the last day when he comes again in the clouds of glory. That's when he will finally come with healing, perfect healing, The healing that he began in us at regeneration, he will perfect when he comes again. He will heal us in all perfection, removing all remaining sicknesses and diseases of sin and woundedness and fear. And he will take us, raising our bodies from the dead, giving us immortality and a body like to his glorious body. He will take us into the kingdom of his light where there will be no more sun because God himself will be the sun shining upon us into the ages that will never end. And so we can clearly understand what Malachi means when he says that when all this takes place, ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. A better translation might be You will go forth and paw at the ground 
like a young bull. Malachi wants us to imagine in our mind's eye a young bull calf in the barn or in the stables and the gate is opened and that young calf so full of energy and excitement bounds out of the stall, out into the field and you can picture him hopping and jumping and skipping for joy all through the fields in the farm. He's excited. He wants to play. He wants to run and jump and skip. That's the joy that will belong to those who belong to the Son of Righteousness. Malachi is saying that when Christ comes, when he shines into this dark world, when he arises with healing in his wings, we will jump and skip for joy. And when Jesus was born, that's exactly what we see as we will consider tomorrow morning, that the angels sang for joy in the night sky of Bethlehem. The shepherds ran with haste to see this thing that the angels had spoken of, and they went forth from the stables and the manger, telling everyone the amazing things they had seen and heard. The Son of Righteousness has arisen with healing in his wings. And when we hear the gospel here in this place from Sunday to Sunday. When that gospel is preached, when Christ is preached, when the Son of Righteousness rises up right here, right before your eyes, does not fill you with joy? To hear some other gospel? To hear lies and false gospels? No. But to hear of Christ? to hear that the light of the world has shined, to hear that he is still shining in our hearts and lives and will not stop until he has perfected us in the world to come. Sometimes, perhaps, we feel like a young bull calf. We want to bound out of our stall, out into the field. We want to run and jump and skip, full of joy and excitement. But of course, in this life, our joy is only a small beginning. And those moments of that kind of excitement and joy are few and far between. And so the text ultimately points us again forward to the kingdom of heaven. When the Son of Righteousness comes at last on the clouds, shines here, and takes us up into glory. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 43, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, that when the Son of Man comes, he gathers the tares out of his kingdom and burns them in the fire, but he gathers up his wheat and takes them into his barn up in glory. Then the righteous shall shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. May that day come quickly. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to thee again for the glorious gospel that thou hast revealed to us in thy word and given to us through preaching. Pray, Lord, that thou would encourage us, give us again a foretaste of that great joy that we expect to have in perfection in the world to come. And grant unto us, Lord, that we would look to the Son of Righteousness as our hope, our strength, for this life and for the life to come. 